Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 58 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's podcast episode, I am incredibly excited to have the opportunity to interview Brett Iwin, who is the voice of Mickey Mouse. Brett is officially the fourth voice of Mickey behind Walt Disney, Jimmy McDonald, and Wayne Allwine, and Brett has been the voice of Mickey for the last 10 years. Of course, Mickey Mouse is the iconic character and symbol of the Walt Disney Company. He has been my favorite character since I was a kid, and it was an incredible honor to get the chance to talk with Brett about his story, about how he became the voice of Mickey, what it's been like to be the voice of Mickey for the last 10 years, and get to work with the likes of Bill Farmer and Ashley Eckstein and Rusie Taylor as well. And we talk a lot about Brett's love of all things Disney and what it's like to be the voice of Mickey Mouse. At the end of the show, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all of our social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. So there's a famous quote from quote from Walt Disney who says, you know, it takes people to make the dream a reality. And I love having the chance to get to speak with those people who do get to make, you know, dreams a reality. And one of the most iconic characters, if not the most iconic character, the person we think about when we think about Disney is Mickey Mouse. And it does take people to make Mickey come to life. And that's why I am honored and privileged and so excited to get the chance to chat with Brett Iwin, who is the voice of Mickey Mouse. So welcome to the show, Brett. Oh boy, it's great to be here, pal. <laughs> thanks for having me. Uh, that that alone was a, a big thrill for me, so thanks for throwing <laughs> that in. <laughs> sure thing. So, Easy enough. Uh, yeah, so before we, uh, it's a great way to start the morning. Uh, so before we actually get into your voice acting career, because I, I, I know you have a really interesting story, I want to go back just a bit, because I know that you, like me, were a huge Disney fan growing up, and um, actually grew up down the road from Disneyland. So I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about your your Disney childhood, you know, what it was like, if you know, how often you went to Disneyland, what are the Disney movies that you that you admired as a kid and where that Disney fandom sort of stemmed from? Yeah, no, that's a great place to start. Um, I grew up in Pasadena, California, uh, which is about 32 miles north of, uh, north northwest, I guess, in LA terms, uh, from Disneyland. So Disneyland was always a part of my awareness and, and, and beyond that, just Disney in general. Um, I grew up in an interesting time in the early 80s, um, I was given a lot of hand-me-down stuff from my, my dad's childhood and my uncle's. And so that included a lot of, uh, vintage Disney records, uh, that, you know, I'd play on my little tykes record player. Um, 
And, and back then it was all about the classic stuff. Like we didn't have Little Mermaid yet and Aladdin and so on and so on. So I grew up watching Pinocchio constantly. Um, Pinocchio, Jungle Book, um, Robin Hood, Fantasia, um, all the classic Mickey cartoons, Mickey Donald Goofy, um, Humphrey the Bear even. So um, I was just, I can't remember a time when Disney was not a part of my life. Um, and it just inspired me in all kinds of ways. Um, I love to imagine. I love to put on shows. I would dance to the Mary Poppins soundtrack with a friend from down the street. We'd put on our own little versions of Jolly Holiday. Um, you know, I was a big train fan. My dad had model trains. And so I would set up the train layouts and pretend that it was Disneyland. Um, I would put on my own parades. I would act out parades. Um, yeah, and then uh, a big part of my upbringing was art. I loved art. Um, and uh, part of that was because my dad would watch the cartoons with me and then we would pause them and we would draw the characters together. So that was kind of my first intro into art lessons. Um, but it just kind of, all of that combined really made this great awareness and appreciation for what Disney was, but more than that, what Walt Disney created. Um, I can just remember really young being aware of the man Walt Disney. And in some ways, my fandom for Disney in general was more about Walt and his story. Um, I, I was the type of kid that didn't really enjoy recess. Uh, you'd find me on the swings or maybe jump rope, but I wasn't in, in, big into sports. Um, and at a certain point, I think around the seventh, or second grade, I started volunteering at the library during recess. I learned the Dewey Decimal System and would put books away. Um, and in doing that one day, I remember I came across an illustrated uh, biography on Walt Disney. And it became my favorite book in that whole library. And so I would come up with any excuse I could to go to that library, flip through the pages, and kind of essentially memorize Walt's story. Um, and then from that point on, every book report or, or just report in general that I had to do about somebody that inspired me, it was always Walt Disney. Um, my art interest kind of went on from just drawing the characters to animation, and I wanted to know how that was done. I started taking animation classes at around the age of 10 at a local uh, place here in Pasadena. Um, and, and that kind of fueled a passion for a career pursuit, which kind of helped me get through high school and choose college and, and so on and so on. So um, I'm not sure if I answered your question. I went on a really weird tangent, but my upbringing um, with Disney, it, it was just, it was always a part of my life. I heard my mom recently say that um, she likes to think about this picture that we have of me, and I'm probably a year and a half, if that, sitting in a stroller at Disneyland, and I've got the Mickey Mouse ball cap on that has Mickey ears attached to it. I have Mickey Mouse sunglasses, and I'm holding a Disneyland popcorn box. And I love it because it's all vintage and it's like, God, I must have been so young during that first visit. But my mom looks at it and she goes, you know, Mickey was always a part of his life. So there's really no question of how did Mickey and Brett get connected. It's just like Mickey was there. And, uh, and it's true. Disney and, and, and Mickey and Walt in particular were just always a huge influence and a, and a part of my life. That's amazing. It's funny how we're similar that way too, because I actually, as a kid, was uh, the same way. We went to, we were a bit farther in New York, but we went to Walt Disney World about every year. And I, every occasion in school, when talking about my role models or had to write a paper on somebody, it would always be Walt. 
Um, funny enough, it was just from a slightly different angle of, of the sort of the business side of it and how we built hmm. the company. But uh, the same sort of love and admiration. I have the same sort of pictures too from when I was a. <laughs> They're great to look back on. Yeah, and and being so close to Disneyland, we were there like you probably once a year at least. You know, um, some of my fondest memories are my dad. Uh, I have three younger brothers. I shared a room with one of them my whole childhood, and we had bunk beds. And uh, I have some really great memories of my dad coming and waking us up on a Saturday morning. He'd like shake the bunk bed and said, hey, you want to go to Disneyland? And, like that was the best day. <laughs> you know, other than Christmas, that was the best day because we would jump up, get our clothes on. It was, it was never really like a planned thing. Occasionally we had family, had family over in Ireland and they would come out and visit. And so we'd always go. And so that was kind of more planned. But those organic spur of the moment, like let's just go and play was the best. And, and, and when, when we did Disneyland, I insisted on being there at rope drop park open like i wanted to spend all day from opening to close and i think even as a kid i was aware that like there was this magic that happened the minute you set foot through those gates like the the real world kind of disappeared and you were immersed in this great imaginative place where you just kind of let your your cares and everything go away and yeah as a as a kid maybe your cares aren't that great it's like the homework that you have to do or or the dread of going back to school on monday but Disneyland let me escape those things. And then later on in life, as challenges and, and reality gets a little bit more intense, it, it still continues to be that for me. So, um, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it's, it's very true. As a kid and as adults, it's uh, definitely uh, an escape and a yeah. place to sort of forget your worries for a while. Um, so I, I know you said that you sort of went on this path to becoming a, an animator and you looked to Disney, Walt Disney Animation as sort of your, your, uh, your dream career. Uh, and you have a really interesting story of how you went from, from that life to becoming the voice of Mickey. So how did the head transformation <laughs> happen to go from, you know, uh, basically art school to, to, uh, to voice actor? Well, I... I always like to say, you know, I remember senior year of high school, a lot of my classmates around me were freaking out about what school to choose or what career path, you know, that, that looming question that we get from kindergarten on of what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, for me, it was an easy answer because like I mentioned earlier, my career path was always, I want to be an artist. More specifically, I want to be an animator. And so I had my eyes set on that for so long. And in high school, I did a, a summer school class. Um, that was held out in California on the CalArts campus, and it was an animation course. So for two and a half months, I essentially lived this pre-college life of taking animation classes. And it was when I was there that I learned about a school named Ringling College of Art and Design. Back in the day, it used to be called Ringling Art, or, or I'm sorry, Ringling School of Art and Design. Now it's a, uh, a bona fide college. But um, I became aware of it and uh, kind of had my sights set on that as a potential school to go to. Also. Um, it's worth mentioning as a kid, I wrote a, I was, I think I was 12 and I wrote a letter to the Disney studios because my mom said, you know, what? why don't you write them a letter and say, Hey, can I get a job sharpening pencils or, or serving coffee? That way you can just, you can learn what it takes to, to, to work there. And, and thankfully I have two parents who have always and continue to be very encouraging of whatever crazy aspirations or dreams I have. Um, and, and they taught me a valuable lesson back then. Like it doesn't hurt to ask. So I wrote a letter and um, I got a response. I got a very nice response from somebody who worked at Feature Animation in Florida. And he wrote a, like a three-page response kind of outlining uh, schools to go to and classes to take and all that kind of stuff. So I had that in the back of my mind. 
they do this summer school in high school. I learn about this new college. And so senior year comes and I'm not panicked like everyone else. I just, I knew, well, I go to art school. That's, that's the path. So, um, long story longer, I ended up going to Ringling College of Art and Design. I was an illustration major. I was there for a four-year bachelor degree. Um, and things started out great. You know, Di uh, Disney feature animation in Florida had an internship that they um, recruited from Ringling for, amongst other schools. But that was a big draw for me. So I started out freshman and sophomore year just hitting the pavement hard, doing all my figure drawing and, and doing all those things that I knew added up to um, being a good animator. Um, and I thought I was golden that that, you know, do my four years and, and I'll achieve that dream. Well, during that, I think it was probably maybe freshman or sophomore year, I forget, but uh, Disney Future Animation in Florida decided to close their doors. And so that internship wasn't an option anymore. And I really started to see that traditional animation, which is what I was in love with and had been pursuing all this time, was really shifting. And it was shifting to what we know today is you know, computer animation. And um, it just really didn't have the same appeal to me. Um, I, I really wanted to do that hand-drawn, see my drawings come to life, see something that came out of my hand onto paper, all of a sudden become alive. You know, it's, it's the illusion of life, um, as, as uh, Frank and Ollie's book is titled. Right. Um, so I kind of shifted gears at that point and decided that, uh, you know, just because Disney animation, traditional animation wasn't really a viable option anymore, didn't mean that Disney wasn't an option. So I'd always been a huge theme park fan, as I mentioned, with Disneyland. And, and that had definitely inspired a lot of some of the design stuff I'd been doing. So I kind of shifted focus to, my, to Imagineering as a, a, a better outlet for me. Um, my senior thesis was designing a theme park. I designed a park based around the California Gold Rush, um, appropriately named California Gold Rush. Did, awesome. did not did not claim to be a writer um so uh but yeah i did that and i had a lot of fun and um i was looking into that as a career path well little did i know that um this workshop would be held and it was hallmark greeting cards they came down to our school they had a great relationship with the school and uh, they did a week-long workshop and you know I, it just seemed like something fun and i was aware of the need to kind of broaden my horizons and just look at different any and all options at that point uh, because as much as you can be passionate about one thing and, and have your eyes set on the prize, I think it's important to remember that you have to be kind of aware of uh, the other opportunities because our dreams don't always play out exactly how we have planned them to. And so you kind of have to be open. I think that's the, the beauty of dreaming and, and passion is that, you know, you can, you can be targeted, but you also have to be aware and open to other possibilities uh, or other avenues. So Hallmark comes down, they hold this workshop, and I was fortunate enough to be chosen to be a part of it. Um, and it ended up being a recruiting trip. So uh, they had some positions opened. And, and after I worked with these, this team, they sent down two um, talented artists. And I fell in love with them, and I fell in love with the process. And so, uh, you know, here I am designing a theme park and applying for Disney uh, Imagineering internships, and then also applying for this job at Hallmark. Um, and I was offered the internship, but it was unpaid. Uh, and I just didn't know how I was going to make that work. Having just graduated college, I should say I graduated and then I was offered the internship. Um, it just didn't seem like a viable option for me. And then a few weeks later, I got a job offer from Hallmark cards. So it was a salaried position. It had benefits. It was a career start. And so I decided to take that. Um, 
I was there at Hallmark for five years, five wonderful years. It was essentially my grad school. I learned a ton from the talented artists that are there, made a lot of wonderful friends, and I really saw myself establishing a life there. Well, after five years, I got a little itchy creatively, as I tend to do. I've always been somebody who uh, just looks for the next challenge. Um, and, and, and challenge excites me, especially creative challenge. Um, and I can't stop imagining or dreaming, as cheesy as that is. I've always got my eyes on the horizon for some new adventure or thing I can pursue. And um, lo and behold, I didn't even have to look very far. I got an email one night. My friend who works at Pixar um, received this internal email that was circulated where they were looking for an understudy for Wayne Allwine, who was the, the current voice of Mickey at the time. Um, she knew I did a Mickey voice because, again, big Disney fan. And so amongst friends, I would make them laugh by doing my Mickey voice, uh, which was never really more than a laugh at that point. Um, but she knew I did it. And so when she got this email, knowing the fan I was and the fact that I did at that point a Mickey impression, uh, she sent me the info. And it was, it was like, you know, hitting the brakes of life, like er, screeching halt, all of a sudden, this amazing opportunity just landed in my lap. And uh, it was out of the blue. And um, yeah, it was it was weird. Because like I said, I was I was looking for a change, but I wasn't really quite sure what that change was going to be. And all of a sudden, I get this email that says, Do you want to be the voice of Mickey Mouse? And it outlined the audition process. Um, it, it had a it set up a number for you to call in and leave your audition. And so very excitedly and without thinking very long at all, I took maybe one or two days to practice, called in, left my audition, and then it was a waiting game. So uh, do you want me to continue on the story of Mickey? <laughs> yeah, that'd be, I, I, love, I love how this, this whole story sort of plays out and uh, that, that sort of left turn that was thrown at you and, it is amazing how how fate kind of steps in there, and uh, yeah. yeah. So so, uh, I know that probably you were thinking at that point that you were just going to uh, audition for the the voice of Vicky, and that would probably just be a story in itself. Absolutely, and that's what you know. I called my brother, and I called my parents, and I called my friends, and I was like, guys. I just got this email. I'm going to, I'm going to audition to be the voice of Mickey Mouse. How insanely cool is that? Like, <laughs> I just thought this will be great bragging rights to be like, yeah, one time I auditioned to be Mickey. <laughs> um, I really just kind of thought at that point, I remember thinking like that was enough, but I'd be lying if I said, if I didn't acknowledge the fact that like I, although I had never, I, I was aware that there was somebody who did the voice of Mickey Mouse. I was aware of Wayne Allwine. I had these Disney treasure box sets um, and they do great interviews with Wayne and Rusi and Tony Anselmo and Bill Farmer. And so I knew of voice acting. I knew of the people behind these voices and these characters that I just loved. And, but I never, I never had aspirations to do that. Um, but when you are given an opportunity and you're made aware of chance just to audition it kind of it, it it changes your perspective and so all of a sudden i started thinking well wait a minute could i do this and and if i've been given this opportunity then then why not me um so yeah i, I had a, a little bit of a, a shift there where i started thinking i never i never really thought i was going to be a voice actor but, but you know what i love this character i'm passionate about this character and the legacy um and and you know how cool would it be to 
have the chance to be the understudy to the voice of Mickey Mouse, to learn from the guy who's been doing it for 32 years. Like that's crazy. Um, so I, I did start to shift focus and I became, you know, if all I thought was, oh, it's cool bragging rights to say I auditioned, that'd be one thing. But I became emotionally invested in it. And, and there was nothing I wanted more than to get a, a phone call or an email that said, hey, we loved your audition. Um, and that's what ended up happening. It was some time that went by, probably a, a month or two, but I, I got a call and they wanted to know what part of California I lived in because they assumed that I was either at Pixar or at the Disney Studios here in Los Angeles. And I had to explain, I'm in neither. I'm actually in Kansas City, Missouri, <laughs> blocks away from Walt Laffergram's uh, studio where it, it all started. Right. And uh, there was some hesitancy on their part. They're like, oh, well, let us let us get back to you. I really thought I'd blown it at that point. I thought, shoot, they're, they're not going to go with some guy who doesn't even live in the state, let alone the same city as, as where they record. But um, the next day they, they got back to me and they said, look, you know, we'd love to have you be a part of this. Um, it's it's going to be on you to fly yourself out here, but we're doing callback auditions. We're having 10 people come back in. We'd love for you to, we really liked your audition. So we'd love to have you in and at least meet you. Um, so yeah, it, it was a no brainer. I booked the ticket. I flew out and I did my uh, in-studio audition, which was, was the first time I'd ever been in a recording booth. Um, and, you know, a 45 minute audition felt like 10 seconds, but I did it and I got to meet everybody and, and left. And then it was another waiting game. Um, they had told me that Wayne Allwine, uh, had gone into the hospital that day. He was having some, some health difficulties and that's why the need for an understudy had kind of presented itself. Um, I didn't think anything of it, but, um, a couple months went by and then I heard the news that Wayne had passed away and that kind of, that shifted and changed everything. Cause here now this was no longer an understudy audition. It was, you know, you were auditioning to be the voice and, and it was, I always say I was surprised by how moved I was by that because I never got to meet the, the man. I never got to meet, meet Wayne, but I had so much admiration for him. Um, and I had been envisioning this great understudy opportunity that it just kind of, it shifted at that point. I was like, well, wait a second. I don't get to, to study now. I don't get to learn. Um, but eventually I did get a phone call and they said, you know, I'm sure you've heard, sad news and, and everyone it's, not, it's worth noting that um disney character voices is a department within disney that is a really tight-knit group of folks like we're, we're family um we work very closely together very frequently and so and and we all share a, a common bond which is a love for these characters and, and, a, and a mission to preserve them and do our best to preserve the legacy that has come before us because you know it's it's very easy to to become prideful in a role like this and say, Hey, look at me, look, look what I do. But really we are just shepherds of these characters for the next generation. And, and Wayne said in an interview, you know, it's not about me. It's, it's about Mickey. And it's absolutely true. It's not about me, Brett. It's about Mickey. It's about preserving this character that was Walt and, and, and Walt loved so dearly. And so, um, yeah, anyway, it's, um, I guess I was I was going I was trying to say that it's a tight group of people and um, they were they were mourning the loss of a loved one and so it was a, a really difficult time but Mickey had work to do still and they needed somebody to step into that role so they asked if I would be up for working on a few projects no promises no no official casting by any means but 
of course, I took them up on that opportunity and I started flying out from Kansas City and working on a few projects. And it wasn't too long after that. I think, in fact, it may have been my second day that they officially offered me the job. And um, the rest is history, I guess. It's incredible. I, I, I love how you were... Well, first of all, I love how that that whole the whole voice actor um, organization is just really tight knit, and how you stepped into uh, a role. And I, I love that sort of philosophy of, of being shepherds of of the the characters for future yeah. generations. And uh, it's a testament back to the the Walt Disney Company and to the, the how much these characters mean to to the entire world, uh, let alone the you know the country that we live in. Um, so do you, so, you know, you step into that role and it's, it, it got, it went very quickly from understudy to, to this now being, you know, Brett is the official voice of, of Mickey. Do you remember the first project that you were assigned uh, and in that role? Yes, I do. Actually, the very first thing I ever did was uh, for Animal Kingdom Park. It was called the Adventures Celebration. And it was a little cavalcade at the end of the day where Mickey came out on the Jeep and uh, they did like a whole little song and dance. And Wayne had previously recorded it. There was a version that existed, but they were updating it. And so I was asked to come in and, and, and do the update, which was a really cool project to start with because um, even though I, I wasn't working with Wayne directly, I was listening. A lot of the early projects I did, it was kind of like a play and repeat where they'd play me some of Wayne's stuff and I would have to uh, mimic it, but then also add in a few additional lines. And um, it was a really great way to learn. So I did that. And then I think on that same trip out, I also started working on a Disney on ice production called, I believe it was called celebrations. Um, and, and if you've ever been to a Disney on ice show, you know, that they are a very big scale production. And so, you know, that was like, I, I can't remember how many pages it was, but it was a very <laughs> thick deck of, of pages, probably like half an inch thick worth of material. And it, it took uh, two days and, and I think two, four hour sessions to get through, but uh, it was an, an intense, immersive first recording session for sure. That's amazing. Um, and it, it is cool that you sort of got to, to fill in for Wayne a bit. That is a, a good step into the, the role before taking on a full project. Um, oh. Do you... <laughs> So my next question is actually about the first time you heard your voice uh, as Mickey. So <laughs> when, and not only your reaction, but uh, you know, y- you hear your voice as Mickey for the first time. Do you remember what that was and sort of what you thought? Were you self-critical? Were you amazed? Were you uh, like extremely proud or like, you know, what were your thoughts? And then I'm also curious, especially your parents, your family, when they heard your your Mickey voice officially for the first time, what their thoughts as were as well. I, yeah, I don't know if I remember the first time I heard. I want to say that I may have looked on YouTube to see if anyone had filmed the cavalcade and or Disney on Ice. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, so I, that may have been the first time. The, but I do remember for sure hearing... I, I was on a trip to Disney World, and um, one of the earlier things I did was recording um, a line for the People Mover. Uh, they were updating that, and they put in a lot of different uh, audio tracks um, as you pass certain places. And when, as you drove through Mickey's Star, Straight, Star Trader, 
um, you hear Mickey say, that's right, it's out of this world. That's right. And um, <clears throat> I heard that, and I quickly learned that, um, well, I already knew this, but I was reminded that I am extremely self-critical. And so the <laughs> first time hearing Mickey's voice in a public setting like that, I was, I, I cringed a bit. Um, because one, I am always going to judge my performances. Um, two, you realize that um, you have no control over what type of audio system it's coming out of, um, the volume that it's at. Um, and, and so that was a little jarring for me hearing that. Um, but I also was struck by the fact that for me, from that point on, Mickey kind of changed. Um, you know, I can remember when, uh, when Jim Henson passed away and Steve, Steve Whitmire took over as Kermit. And, and, you know, as just a casual fan, you, you notice that Kermit sounded a little different. Um, not wildly different, not the character was still the same, but the vocal quality was a little different as two different people performing a role will have some contrast between the two of them. So I remember that, but now for me, having grown up such an admirer of Disney and specifically the character of Mickey, Mickey did change from that point because he didn't sound like the Mickey I, I knew, you know, before I just got to enjoy Mickey. I just got to hear him. Um, now Mickey was loaded with all of these thoughts of how did I perform? Could I have done it better? What would I have done better? Um, yeah. So I guess that criticalness kind of, kind of shifted my thinking, uh, my family and friends. I, I don't remember, specifically getting any feedback from them early on. I think everyone's always been really encouraging. I do remember one time uh, during Disneyland's 60th, they, they premiered a new nighttime parade called Paint the Night. And Mickey's kind of in the, the intro float and he comes out. And um, I had brought my family there that evening. And my brother, Corey, who's, uh, who's been through a lot of the same Disney upbringing as I have, just kind of looked over at me and he's like, you sound really good. And uh, that meant the world to me because I was able to get, you know, positive feedback from somebody that, you know, I, I care about his opinion. And, and, and for once I didn't have to self-evaluate. I could just listen to him and say, thanks. That means a lot. That is wonderful. And I know exactly which part of the, the people over here are talking about. It is incredibly loud and it just echoes <laughs> in that one section. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's right there in your face. It, it's not even subtle. You can be down below and you hear it. Like it's exactly. So <laughs> And it's like, ah, Mickey doesn't need to be that loud. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. Um, so speaking of Mickey's voice, I know that his voice has, as to your point, sort of changed as he's taken on the role. It still is incredible how you, while there are subtle differences, if you listen to them sort of back to back, that they're essentially the same character, the same voice. And I know, uh, you know, you have said in sort of, um, you got this advice from, um, from Bill that, uh, you know, it's not voice, uh, it's not voice acting, it's voice acting and that it's yeah. not so much about the, the voice, uh, doing the voice as it is acting, um, acting out the role of Mickey. Uh, but, um, I am curious because I know people do try to imitate the voice of Mickey in their everyday lives. <laughs> um, how, including myself doing, you know, terrible impressions, but hey, do, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, how do you just, cause I know it's not just a, uh, you know, like a falsetto voice, but how do you describe sort of Mickey's voice? If you were to try to teach somebody how to, how to do his voice? It's a properly? great question. Um, 
Well, yeah, I love, I love that Bill says that because I, I think it even took me a while to get that, you know, early on, I was really focused on like creating the sound of Mickey. Uh, and of course I was aware of the acting part of it, but you know, it was early, my early days, it was like, can I sustain this, this sound for so long? And can I add dynamics to it? And can I then layer on that acting portion that Wayne did so well? Um, and, and yeah, I like that you brought up the fact that you can tell the subtle differences, right? Um, it's, it's, you can't avoid it. But um, again, I love, I love this quote, part of an interview where Wayne mentioned, you know, Leonard Malton asked Wayne Allwine if, he, if uh, Jimmy McDonald, the second voice of Mickey, had given him any advice. And Wayne said, yeah, he did. He said, you know, kind of to keep his ego and the character's ego in check, Jimmy said, remember, kid, you're only filling in for the boss because that's what it's about. We're just, you know, Walt created the sound, Walt created the character, and we're just doing our part to, to keep it going. Um, but, um, yeah, so so how to do Mickey's voice. It's, uh, it's also something Wayne said, but, you know, he said Wayne, uh, Mickey's voice is not a super high falsetto. It's not a super low falsetto. It's right in the middle. It's not up here. It's not down here. It's right in the middle. And um, it, I think that it... it people automatically go to that falsetto and they kind of go to a screechy, yelly, loud thing. And, and if you're going to do Mickey, you have to have some control over him because Mickey can be conversational. He can talk to you real gentle. He can also be really excited and he can have those high notes, but he doesn't live up there all the time. You know, Mickey is a dynamic character. And I think when people are trying to do a Mickey voice, they tend to forget that. Um, so yeah, it, vocally it is a falsetto. Um, and that requires a lot of air moving through your sinus cavities and whatnot. Um, uh, so, you know, you might find it difficult if you have a stuffy nose or if your throat is scratchy or whatnot. Um, it's a trick voice. And, and that is part of the challenge in doing Mickey because, uh, you know, as opposed to other characters who Bill adds so much dynamic to Goofy, but Goofy's voice is essentially Bill's voice with a little bit of a hitch and a little bit of a slight twang or accent added to it. But, you know, Bill could be essentially under the weather and still sound like Goofy. Uh, whereas if I get a cold, I, I, might, I can't do Mickey. Like, he, he's gone. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the fact that it's a trick voice just adds a, another level of difficulty. And, and then on top of that, add the need to speak for extended amount of times. You know, we do an episode, it's, you know, it could be anywhere from 15 to 55 lines per half hour episode. Um, so you can, you could be in the booth for, you know, up to four hours sometimes. And that alone, speaking for four hours straight will strain your voice. Doing a trick voice for four hours will definitely strain your voice. So um, there's a lot of, a lot of dynamics at play, a lot of things to consider. Um, but I guess going back to your question on how to perform Mickey, um, the, the biggest part, again, is going back to that acting. And it's about knowing the characters, knowing how and what he would do to respond to situations. Um, it's, it's, knowing, it's knowing his thought process. You know, I, I picture a little animated Mickey when I'm doing Mickey because I think having him be one of the first characters I ever learned how to draw, like it's natural for me to imagine that 2D animated Mickey from the 40s. And, uh, and with that, I see him squash and stretch and I can picture all the different emotions that you've seen in Mickey's face over the years. And, uh, and sometimes it's important to even picture those emotions that don't maybe emote with any sound. Um, because 
in voice acting, you're given a line, but that line has so many different layers to it. And sometimes there's something to be said, even in the silence of uh, the space between two words or the space between two sentences. And so it's really kind of getting your mind to think about this character um, living and breathing uh, and, and sometimes even less just about the sound that's coming out. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. And um, it's funny you talk about Bill because when I do hear him in interviews, I cannot help but hear Goofy every single time <laughs> he opens his mouth. Yep. Uh, he definitely seems to be the, the living uh, embodiment of, of Goofy's voice. Oh, he uh, is. And he'll tell you he has a Goofy curse because Bill is prone to accidents and <laughs> we, we love him for it. But he is, uh, he is one of my dearest friends and I, I love him because he is... He is genuine, he is humble, he is down to earth, and he is just as lovable as, as Goofy is. So, yeah, one thing I know when I, when uh, Goofy and, and Mickey, or Mickey and Goofy have to, uh, we have to act out a scene where, you know, they're just two pals that, that love each other. That's not hard for me to imagine because all I have to do is picture Bill and, and the fun we've had just as he and I, and it's, it's not too far of a stretch. That's amazing. Uh, so speaking of people who you have worked with, of course, you do you work quite a bit with Bill, uh, not surprisingly. And I know that you also are, are uh, you know, you've worked with or are close with at least um, Ashley Eckstein. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm curious to, to know a little bit more about, um, you know, sort of the, the dynamics of, of working with uh, all these people. And uh, especially, I know that we recently lost Rusi Taylor, who is the voice of Minnie, and sort of what it was like working with her specifically and what that loss meant to either you personally or to the, the overarching um, the organization. Yeah, the, the loss of Rusi was, was really tough on all of us. Um, unfortunately, we did not know Rusi was sick. Uh, we knew she was, she hadn't recorded for a while, um, and we were all just accommodating to whatever was going on. Um, we just wanted the best for her, and we wanted her to heal, but we didn't know to what level she was dealing with illness. And so it really kind of hit us hard. It was very shocking. Um, um, and I'm, I'm sad that I didn't get the chance to properly say goodbye, but, but I'm comforted by the wonderful memories I have of Rusi. Um, you know, it's, n it's not a secret that Wayne and Rusi were, were married. And so Mickey and Minnie were married in real life. The characters might not be, but they were. But more importantly than them being married, what, what, what was true is that their love was like um, immeasurable. Like they, everyone will say that you have never met two people more in love. And um, so even though I never got to meet Wayne, I really got to know him through Rusi and, and just the way she would speak of him, but also just seeing how much she missed him and how in love they were. Um, and so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have gotten to know her. It was not an easy thing for her to get to, to, to let me in. Um, and it took some time, but we eventually were able to, to have a, a wonderful friendship and, and we would go out to dinner occasionally. And um, we had this one place in, in town that had live jazz and, and burger nights. And so we would do that together. Um, she was also there if I ever needed to, to call her texture and just get some advice, which I did a couple of times on some challenging projects. She was there to kind of just put things in perspective, but more often than not, just kind of like uh, ground me in a way of just like, don't worry so much. It's fine. You know, Wayne deal with this, dealt with this too. And it was just really nice to have that insight. Um, uh, and, and, 
the part that I will miss the most is, you know, we would occasionally be booked back to back. And so, although we don't ever record together ensemble anymore, um, we would run into each other and she would always give me the best hugs. She was a really good hugger. She claimed I was a great hugger too, but I think she was much better than I. Um, and she'd, she'd give really long hugs to the point where like you'd let go and she'd say, no, not yet. We're not done. Um, and, and so she was just so warm and lovely and encouraging. And she would always say, aren't we lucky? We're so lucky. We have the best lives. We get to have so much fun. Isn't this amazing? I was like, yeah, it, it is. Um, and um, yeah, she would, she would often leave and she'd say, okay, I'm not, you go do your thing. Go be amazing. I'll see you later. And, and to hear that from Rusi Taylor, who was, you know, not only just phenomenally talented, um, but to, to really kind of just get her seal of approval meant the world to me. Um, and, and, and we're still, we're still struggling with the idea that she's no longer with us. It's, it's, it's a huge, huge, huge loss, but, um, working alongside of her, at least vocally will always be one of the greatest honors of my career. And, um, yeah, she's, she's, she's going to be missed. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've, it's, it's it, the, the people that I get to work with in this job, um, constantly surprise me, um, or even just the people I get to meet. Disney legends I've met over the years is incredible um, for this essential fanboy to, to meet, you know, childhood heroes is incredible. Um, and then occasionally you meet somebody like Ashley Eckstein, who has just become one of my best friends. Um, we joke that, you know, in an alternate reality, we've been friends for a lot longer and it just took us a while to, to meet each other on, in this reality. But um, she is so wildly talented and, you know, everything from Ahsoka Tano to uh, her universe and, and all the things she does. I'm just constantly in awe of her and I've learned so much from her. Um, but yeah, we've just kind of, we've hit it off and, and we're, we're living out our Mickey Mouse Club dreams that we never got to achieve in the 90s because we both wanted to be on that show. Um, so any chance we get to just kind of, you know, be with each other and, and, and demonstrate our love of Disney and Star Wars and just our geekiness and our fandom, you know, we just want to, we just want to celebrate with all the rest of the, the Disney fans out there and, and, and let them know that we're, we're, we're having fun right along with them. So, um, she and I have, have really developed a great friendship. I'm very, very lucky, uh, to call her my friend and, uh, yeah, I, so I get to meet a lot of cool people. It's, it's a great perk of this job. It's, it, it definitely sounds like it. I love how Rusi sounds like she was almost the embodiment of Minnie. It, it, she, her personality oh, seemed yeah. to be very much like Minnie Mouse. Yeah, and you mentioned Bill sounding like Goofy. Um, the first time I ever met Rusi, I heard her coming down the hallway first, and, and it was Rusi just speaking like Rusi, but it was Minnie. Like there, it was unmistakably Minnie. That's amazing. Um, I still have a couple questions left, Brett. So actually, this sure. is my last, my last Mickey-related question, which okay. is that, so I know that you know, amazingly, and I'm sure it feels like it's, it's maybe been a lifetime or a blink of an eye, but you just hit 10 years of being the voice of, of Mickey and yeah. being in this role. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, even as I was thinking back and prep for this interview, realized that Mickey himself is, is getting pretty, you know, he just celebrated 90. He's getting pretty close to a hundred. And I don't think there's a lot of characters out there who have been this, uh, idolized and loved for for that length of time and because i know obviously you're a disney fan you're a historian aside from being the voice of mickey um what do you, what do you think it is about mickey that 
makes him so popular and so loved, even almost a hundred years later after his his debut uh, in Steamboat Willie. I, th- I actually think that's an easy question to answer. I think uh, his appeal is the genius of Walt Disney in designing a character that was um, every bit just uh, an every man, I think is what how Walt referred to him. You know, Walt wanted a character that could be relatable to everybody that we could watch on screen and and identify with whatever he was going through. Um, and and that means highs, that means lows. Um, but, you know, over overwhelmingly, Mickey is a positive character. Like, I think we look at Mickey and he represents goodness. Um, he represents uh, warmth and love. Um, and, and who doesn't want a little bit of that in their life? So, um, but also I think just the fact that he is so much an extension of Walt um, for, for Disney fans out there, you know, Walt, we may have lost Walt in 66, but, uh, you know, he has continued to live through the organization of the Walt Disney company, um, through the brand of that, but especially through Mickey Mouse, because Mickey is, uh, you know, the embodiment of, of dreaming, of imagining, of being a, a best friend, um, being kind and humble and gracious and just all these positive things. I mean, it's like, how can a character like that not appeal beyond generations, beyond trends? Um, Mickey just kind of, Mickey transcends, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, he is very much, you're right, it is definitely the genius of Walt and sort of the, almost the embodiment of the human spirit and resiliency and uh, like you say, through through any trend or any time, he's he's definitely relatable, which yeah, makes him yeah. a very lovable character. Absolutely. Um, so uh, my last big question for you is, I know that, I can tell you that one of the things I love about hosting this podcast is I get the chance to connect people to people that they admire. And I know that there are a lot of people listening who admire your work and look back at and and are listening to the story of you. While it's not the traditional career path to get into voice acting, you had that love of Disney since you were a kid, uh, which I relate to and a lot of the listeners relate to. And there are listeners who want to be and people out there who want to go into voice acting and especially maybe one day will get the chance to, to work for Disney, or at least that's what they dream to do. So what advice would you offer to someone who's listening, who aspires to go into voice acting and who especially specifically might want to one day be a voice actor working for Disney? Well, I think, uh, you know, we kind of touched on this a little earlier in terms of what Bill always says about voice acting. And I think it's just important to keep in mind, again, that it's it's voice acting. Um, so if you're interested in voice acting, uh, I think one of the first mistakes people make is they think, I do funny voices. I'd love to work on cartoons. And that's great. Your passion has to start someplace. Um, but hone that and start to really think of it as acting. Um, take acting classes in your community. Um, whether that's at a community college or just a small theater group that gets together or whatever it is, or just working on your own, you know, um, get your hands on some scripts from your favorite TV show or whatnot, and just kind of work on the acting of it. Uh, really develop that, that core, um, work on your improv skills. Because when you talk about thinking of what would the character think or feel or whatever, a lot of times you're in the moment, you got to be able to think quick. Um, so improv really helps on that. And then next steps would be, um, to, to work with 
somebody maybe specifically in the voiceover field. I know there are lots of classes out there. There are a lot of industry professionals even who, who host their own and teach their own classes. Um, so locate those, get involved in that. And then the next step professionally would be to get a demo reel produced. And with a demo reel, that's how you're going to find an agent. And it's really key to go and find an agent um, because an agent has their pulse on what's out there, what projects are being cast, and they're really going to get you in the door to have that chance to audition for a role. Um, I know my story is not that career path. Um, things worked out totally different for me, but I have learned kind of the ropes of voice acting in these this 10 years. And I, I will say that, you know, my story is definitely the exception. And, and that's not to say that nobody else will have ever have um, a, a different path like I did. But I think, um, you know, similar to the way I pursued art and animation, I, I got that advice from the Disney animator and he kind of outlined the schools to go to and the classes to take. And I, I took that to heart and I pursued that. And I listened to his advice. And um, I have to believe that kind of that disciplined approach is what essentially led me to where I'm supposed to be, even though it was a slight, slight tangent. So I think I would also say um, another piece of advice is just be open to wherever our creative pursuits take you. Um, you, you might think that that you right now you want to be a Disney voice actor and that's the only thing you ever want to do. And that's going to start you on this, this path and this journey. And that's fantastic, but also be open. Who knows what other doors and other opportunities can come. When I went to art school, I saw nothing else but Disney animation. And over those four years, I started to see all these different art styles and, and techniques and, and different avenues to, to hone and to use and harness my artistic abilities. And I, you know, my, my horizons were opened. I saw this whole other art world. And so I think um, it's important to be inspired and I will never discourage anyone from being a diehard Disney fan and, and, and being motivated by that, that passion that just kind of like comes from within. It's at our core as Disney fans, you know, we're inspired by the mantra of when you wish upon a star and, and you can make your dreams a reality if you just have the courage to pursue them and, and, and let that, that guide and motivate you. But also with that passion, be open to the, the many different opportunities and avenues that life presents. Um, so I think, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot lately because, yeah, 10 years into this, this gig, I've, I've, it's, it's a time to reflect. It's a time to look back. And, um, you know, I've really started to think, well, you know, Mickey's, Mickey's not about, being the voice of Mickey is not about me. It's about Mickey. Um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm just one small piece of this puzzle that keeps Mickey going. I'm Mickey number four. There will be other Mickey voices after me. Um, so I've really looked back on just kind of my journey and where I've gotten. And the one thing I want to, I want people to take away when they, when I'm able to share my story with them is, is the ability is acknowledging the abilities we have in creative pursuits. Um, you know, just not be afraid of a challenge. Always go after what you're passionate about. Never settle for something. Don't listen to the people that say you can't. If ever, if, if ever anybody's told me I can't, that's the time when I get the most motivated to say, I'll show you I can. And I've, I've been up against those situations several times in my life. Um, and similarly, we know from Walt's story that he was as well. So, you know, take that inspiration and, and just kind of let it blossom into whatever it is, but make sure it's something you're always passionate about and makes your life feel, feel fulfilled. Brett, I think that's amazing advice. And, uh, thanks so much for sharing all of that. And, uh, I, I definitely, like I said, in the beginning, definitely love your story. I think it's 
an incredible one. And I am certainly looking forward to your many years, you know, as fortune will probably have it and we hope he'll have it so that you'll be Mickey for years to come <laughs> yes, uh, hearing, you, <laughs> hearing you all over the place as uh, as Mickey and um, so uh, speaking of story I of course uh, want to give you the chance to plug any place where people can follow you and you know like Instagram stories uh, oh, any yeah, place they can go, go to because uh, I know I follow you on Instagram and uh, always enjoy sort of looking at your still the fact that you you do, uh, you know, sort of illustrations, which uh, you certainly still have the talent for it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, I, I especially loved, uh, you had a post like a, a month or two ago about uh, very like Walt style of you on a, like a train, <laughs> similar, oh, yeah. similar, similar sort of look and feel. I'm like, wow, that actually kind of looks like Walt doing the exact same thing. <laughs> um, but where can people go to, to follow you and uh, sort of uh, see what you, what you're up to in social media or elsewhere? My train site is definitely another podcast in itself, but yeah. <laughs> um, yes, we'll you, save it. you have definitely seen me on trains. I'm I, like I mentioned in the beginning as a kid, I was a huge train dork and I still am today. I, I love steam trains. I love railroading. Um, I, I work as a, a steam locomotive engineer and mechanic when I can down at a competing theme park here in Southern California. Don't tell Disneyland. I won't. <laughs> my, my family and I have been building our own little railroad up in Northern California that we have a lot of fun on. Um, I love that stuff. So yeah, but if you want to keep it, uh, follow along with my, what I think are somewhat crazy adventures, uh, you want to see the train stuff, my original artwork, which I'm, I'm really kind of putting my focus back into creating a few pieces uh, through Disney Fine Art. I just released a painting called Track 28, which features Mickey getting off the train in Hollywood in 1928. And for those Disney geeks out there, you will notice that the train car he's stepping off of is the Lily Bell Parlor Coach from Disneyland. Um, uh, on his ticket, it lists the destinations of New York, um, Marceline, Kansas City, to Hollywood. Uh, to Hollywood. And, and Amazing. That's, you know, Walt's journey coming up with Mickey. And then the train station he's getting off of is actually the Grizzly Flats Depot, which was the, the train station from So Dear to My Heart, which Ward Kimball then took that set piece and put on his property at his personal railroad. And when Walt was building Disneyland, he said, hey, I want that back. And Ward said, no, build your own. <laughs> so uh, Walt actually recreated that again as the Frontierland Depot, which is now the New Orleans Depot as we know it. So um, I tried to put in all these fun little little hidden, hidden gems. Another thing is uh, on the train car itself, it's labeled CPRR, which is Carrollwood Pacific Railroad, which was Walt Disney's personal backyard railroad. So I, I want to put in all those fun things. So check that out. I'm also starting a new series of national park inspired silkscreen posters uh, featuring Mickey. I haven't decided if I'm going to feature other characters as well, but I love national parks. I love hiking. I love camping. I love the outdoors. Um, so kind of combining Mickey and my love of those into a, a series. So you can follow that. I'll be releasing uh, info on that on Instagram as well. I should probably say my Instagram handle. Is, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> it is my name at Brett Iwin. So it's Brett underscore Iwin. That's Brett with one T, I W A N. Um, but please follow along. I, I try to post and, and let you guys, let everybody get a glimpse into uh, what it what it's like playing this role, but also just all my other creative um, passions and pursuits because, uh, yeah, I just. I like old things. I like vintage things. I like trains. I like art. I like to, to keep it all, keep it all active and then, you know, continue to inspire anyone any way I can. 
Well, I'll be sure to, of course, include that link in the show notes uh, for this podcast episode. And I'll tease it out on Instagram too. So that way people can can follow you there. Um, But Brett, thank you so very much for chatting with me. It was great to hear your story and uh, to hear you share it. And um, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for for coming on to Matt Your Podcast. Hey, you're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me on. And it was it was my honor for sure. And with that, we close out episode 58 of the Imagineer podcast. I want to give a special thank you once again to Brett for coming on to the show. It was truly such an honor to get the chance to speak with him directly to learn more about his story as he became the voice of Mickey and what it's been like to be the voice of Mickey Mouse for the last decade. Be sure to follow Brett on Instagram as we talked about just a couple of minutes ago. The easiest way to follow him is to click on the link in the show notes below, but you could follow him at Brett underscore Iwin, which is spelled B-R-E-T underscore I-W-A-N. Brett shares a lot of really interesting stories. You get to learn a little bit more about his love of all things Disney, his love for illustrating and nature and trains, and he always has really interesting stories to share. So be sure to follow his adventures over on Instagram. And I, of course, want to turn the conversation over to you listening. What does Mickey Mouse mean to you? What do you love most about Mickey? And what what is it that you think has made Mickey such an iconic character, even more than 90 years after his first showing in Steamboat Willie? You can send me your feedback in so many different ways. As always, you can follow me and reach out to me directly on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Imagineer News, or be sure to join our Facebook group, which is the Imagination, the Imagineer podcast Disney fan community. The easiest way to get there is to go over to facebook.com slash Imagineer podcast, click on the groups tab, and that will take you over to the Imagination. You can also send me an email directly at ImagineerPodcast at gmail.com, or call our listener voicemail at 516 516- Four zero six eight three seven six. in case you would like to hear your voice on a future episode of Imagineer Podcast. If you don't already subscribe to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening in iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, no matter your favorite podcast app, be sure to hit subscribe so that you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you haven't already rated and reviewed the show, it does so much to help our podcast community continue to grow, especially in iTunes. And I do want to thank Grantula David and KCanon108 for leaving some incredible reviews. There are other reviewers out there as well. Uh, And I want to thank those of you who have taken the time recently to write a review in iTunes. I truly do appreciate it. One of the best things, though, that you could do for Imagine Your Podcast 
is to share the show. Whether you share your favorite episode, perhaps is this one or another, or you share the podcast as a whole, or simply post about it to Instagram or Facebook, to a post or to stories on Twitter, or just talking directly with your friends. Every single share does so much to help our podcast community continue to grow. And thanks as always to all of you who do continue to share the word about Imagineer podcast. If you would like to take your love of Imagineer Podcast to the next level, be sure to visit patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can learn more about the Imagineer Society and how to become a member of that group. Essentially, though, you go to help support the show and in return get some exclusive perks and benefits such as early access to every podcast episode, some bonus podcast episodes, monthly video calls with me, as well as a private Facebook group just for Imagineer Society members. So again, you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Imagineer Podcast and be sure to find our partners Academy Travel and The Kingdom Insider There are links in the show notes below, but you can learn more about Academy Travel at academytravel.com. They are a diamond earmarked travel agency who have helped create vacations for families for over 23 years and are recognized by the Walt Disney Company for their exceptional service. So I encourage you, if you are looking for vacation planning to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or any destination around the world, it's all free to you. So visit academytravel.com and visit thekingdominsider.com as well as The Kingdom Insider on all social media platforms for a reliable and incredible source of all things Disney and Disney news and travel tips and so much more. So visit The Kingdom Insider as well. Lastly, and most importantly, please remember that I hope you're doing everything you possibly can to go after your dreams. I really hope that this interview with Brett has inspired you. Maybe you want to go into voice acting or perhaps you are pursuing another career path, but Brett, I think, has a really inspiring story and an incredible one, and I believe that you too can make your own dreams come true. So remember, as always, that quote from Horizons, if you can dream it, you could do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Imagination, huh? <laughs>